Amen. Praise God. Amen. God is good. Is that not right? Let me hear it. Amen. Good to see each one this morning. You have your Bibles. Turn to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. I want to begin a study today, a, a series that we're going to call The Faithful Bride. The Faithful Bride. We're going to use Matthew chapter 25 as a base text, but we're going to look at a, a couple other scriptures today. We're going to be in uh, Genesis 24. We're also going to be in Jeremiah 31. So you may want to kind of go ahead and get your uh, pages marked on that. But we want to use Matthew chapter 25 as a base text this morning. In fact, throughout this series, this will be the base text for this. Matthew chapter 25, beginning with verse 1, Jesus had this to say. The kingdom of heaven will be likened to ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise did take oil in their vessels with their lamps. And while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold! The bridegroom cometh. Go you out and meet him. Then all those virgins arose, all ten of them arose, and they trimmed their lamps. Verse 8, And the foolish said to the wise, Give us your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so. In other words, it is not going to happen. At least there be enough for you and us. But go ye rather uh, to them that sell and buy it for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. And afterwards came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, Jesus says in verse 13, Watch therefore, for you know not neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man cometh. You know, as I look at this world around us, you know, as I look at our nation, you know, just 20 years ago, uh, you know, and I look at it today, folks, I'm just going to be honest, it brings tears to my eyes. What was uh, abnormal then, just 20 years ago, is the norm today. What people were ashamed about, you know, 20 years ago, they boast about today. What parents protected their children from, you know, back then, parents encourage of their children today. And what our pulpits preach to sin then that they avoid today because they want to be politically correct or they don't want to hurt the feelings of someone that may be in the congregation. And as much as that disturbs me, the one positive thing that I gain out of this, folks, is the soon return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to take the church out of this mess that we're in. So I can look forward to that because of what I see going on around our nation today. And what I want to do over the next few weeks is I want to take a deep look into Matthew chapter 25 verses 1 through 13, you know, and I want to break it down and I want to see just what this, what we can learn about this bride thing and what we can learn about this marriage of the lamb thing. Now today, again, we're just going to use this passage as a springboard. That's the last I'll refer to it. We're going to look at some other scriptures, but we want to look at it as a springboard to learn about the ancient Jewish wedding. 
That's what we want to look at this morning. This ancient Jewish wedding, what was it all about? You know, because if we understand the customs of the old ancient Jewish wedding, then Matthew chapter 25 is easy for us to understand. You know, many people look at this and they have all these different theories about what it's saying, and it's because they don't understand the Jewish wedding back in biblical days. So today we're going to break down this Jewish wedding, what it was all about, and the reason being is because Jesus is following the steps of the Jewish bridegroom when he's talking about his bride and his church. So if we understand what he's talking about, if we understand the Jewish wedding, then these many truths and treasures that have been hidden, you know, for a long time will simply become easy for us to understand when we understand Jesus in his original Jewish context. You know, I truly believe that God is calling us back to uh, the bride of Christ, back to the Jewish roots of Christianity. Now, Proverbs chapter 25, verse 2 says this, It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. And let me tell you, there's a lot of things in the Word of God that we look at and we say, what is he talking about here? Well, there's some things that God conceals within his Word, but it says there, but the glory of the kings is to search out such a matter. So our job is to do our responsibility, what we should do if there's something that we don't understand in the Word of God. You know, God may have concealed this matter, and He concealed it because He wants us to dig into it. But many people, they just read that and say, well, we can't understand that. Let's just move on to something else. No. What did the proverb writer say? The glory of the kings is to search out a matter. So we're going to search out Matthew chapter 25 as we go through this series. So let's uh, search it out this morning. Let's take a look at this bride of Christ, dig deeper into God's word concerning this ancient Jewish weddings. Now, the first thing, when you look at the ancient Jewish weddings, the first thing that you see is the selection of the bride. Now, turn to Genesis chapter 24, if you would. Genesis chapter 24. And I want to show you an example of how the old Jewish wedding worked. How, you know, what they, how would it would go about. Now, in Genesis chapter 24, we see in ancient Israel, brides were usually chosen by the father of the bridegroom. In other words, the father of the bridegroom, what he would do is he would send out his most trusted servant and he would say, I want you to go out there and I want you to find a bride for my son. So he would send his most trusted servant to look for a bride. And we see that here in Genesis chapter 24. We see an example of that because Abraham sent out his servant to seek a bride for his son Isaac. And here in uh, Genesis chapter 24, I, uh, the, the servant, as he was going out, he said, all right, my master said, go look for a bride. Here's what I'm going to do. And in uh, verse 14, he says, may it be that when I say to a young woman, okay, uh, 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 please let down your jar that I may have a drink. And she says, okay, drink and I'll water your camels too. Let it be her to be the one that has been chosen for Isaac. So what this servant did, he said, okay, my, ser- my, my master sent me out. I got to find a, a bride for his son. I got to find a bride for Isaac. You know, so I'm going to go out and I'm going to be by this water thing. And the first woman who comes by, and you know, with, to get water out of the well, if she says, I'll water you and I'll water your camels, that's a sign from God that this is the one that God has chosen for Isaac's wife. 
See, that's the way it worked here, okay? And before he finished praying, we're told in verse 15 that the young woman by the name of Rebecca came with her jar on her shoulder and she offered both he and his camels a drink. And though she had never seen or met Isaac, she accepted the invitation to be the bride that the servant was looking for. You know, Jesus said in, in, in uh, uh, John chapter 15 and verse 16, he says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And that's the way it was with Rebecca. You know, uh, you know uh, Isaac's servant chose her, or should we say God chose her. But Jesus said, you know, you didn't cho- uh, choose me, I chose, excuse me, I chose you. Look, just like Rebecca was chosen to be the bride of Isaac, we too are chosen to be the bride of Christ. God sends out his servant, and he's seeking a bride for his son. And we're chosen by God to be the bride of Christ. He chooses us to be the bride of Christ, but we have to accept that invitation. Look here. We've not seen Jesus, but God's servant, the Holy Spirit, has revealed him to us. You see, just like... You know, uh, the servant was sent out by Abraham to seek out a bride for his wife or his son. Folks, God has sent his Holy Spirit to seek out a bride for Jesus Christ, his son. And the Holy Spirit goes about and he's seeking out a bride. He chooses this one. He chooses this one. He chooses this one. And what we see here is just as Abraham sent out that servant to find that perfect bride, God is doing the very same thing with his son. You know, in, in, in John chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus said, No one comes to me unless the Father who has sent me draw him. And how does the Father draw us to Jesus Christ? How does the Father draw us to be a part of the bride of Christ? Through his servant, the Holy Spirit, that he has sent out to convict hearts, to draw people unto him. Look, because God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, folks. Every person on the face of the earth, listen to me, every person on the face of the earth will one time, at one time in their life or another, be chosen to be a part of the bride of Christ. Every person is going to hear from the servant of God who is out trying to put together the bride of Christ. Every person will hear that call upon their life to come be a part of the bride of Christ, to be saved, to come to Jesus Christ, to know him as your personal Savior. The question is not, will you be chosen? The question is, will you accept the call? Look, I don't care who you are this morning, whether you're here, whether you're watching us on Facebook or whatever, at some time or another in your life, there's been a call on your life to come to Jesus Christ. So it's not a matter of, will he ever choose me? He's done chose you probably. The question is, did you accept that call? The check question is, did you say yes? Now look here, after after the selection was made, okay, after the invitation was made, the next part of this Jewish wedding came putting a price out. In other words, a price had to be paid for the bride. Now brides in uh, biblical times, they were chosen and then they were Purchased. Now, I know what some of you ladies are saying. We're not cattle that you go to an auction and you, you, you pay a price. Well, no, you're not cattle. But back in the biblical days, this is the way it worked. There was a price to be paid. 
for the, uh, for the bride. In other words, the price was paid to the father of the bride, both to compensate him for a loss of a worker. He, hey, he was going to fix and lose a worker in his household. You know, once this woman got married, so it was to compensate him for the loss of the worker, but also to show him how much the bridegroom valued his daughter. You see, when we, we as the bride of Christ, folks, we have also been purchased with a price. When God calls you to be a part of the body of Christ, when God calls you to be a part of the bride of Christ, the next thing is a price had to have been paid. And folks, Jesus Christ paid that price look a very high price was paid the blood of jesus christ jesus valued you and me so much folks that he was willing to pay the price of his very own blood shed on mount calvary folks what a price to pay what uh, what's that tell you how much he values you that he was willing to pay the price of his blood on mount calvary he's showing you there this is how much i value you this is how much you mean to me that I'm willing to sacrifice my life for you. What a, with a price like that, folks, surely you must mean a lot to him. Some people think, well, I'm just, I'm just a nobody. You know? Nobody really cares for me. Nobody loves me. You know? Uh, you know, everybody's always finding wrong in me. They're finding negative things in me. But can I tell you something? Jesus Christ valued you so much. It don't matter what other people, how they value you. You've got to understand Jesus Christ valued you so much. He's called you to be a part of his family. And he paid the price that had to be paid for that to take place. You know, the question is, are we willing to say yes to his servant, the Holy Spirit, when he invites us to be a part of the bride? You know, Peter uh, put it this way in uh, 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. He said, for you know that God paid the ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And he went on to say this, and the ransom he paid, it was not mere gold or silver, okay? It, it was not mere gold. It was the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. That's how much he values you. I don't care what others think of you. You know, I don't care what people think of me because I know how much God valued me. I know how much Jesus Christ values me enough to pay the price for me to be a part of his family. And folks, that's the same way it is with you. Church, because we were chosen by his servant, the Holy Spirit, because we agreed to be his bride when we, when we accepted him as our Lord and Savior, because he paid the price for us, we ought to live our life in such a way, in such a way that's going to bring him honor and glory. How sad it is that, that some people accept his invitation to be a part of his family. And they, they, they accept the price that was paid. But they don't show him how much they appreciate what he's done for them by the way they live their life. Folks, he valued you. He valued me so much that he gave his precious blood. Now the question is, how do I show my appreciation for that? Do I live my life in such a way that's going to bring him honor and glory? You know, think about this. If we get saved and we say, well, I want to go to heaven. I'm going to get saved. You know, I accept the invitation to be a part of his bride. I accept the invitation to be a part of his family. But I still want to be able to do some of the things that I've always done. Now, listen to this. What type of marriage would it be 
If a man or a woman married the other person, and they say, well, I'm going to marry this person, but I still want to be able to, uh, you know, do what I want to do. In other words, I still, I'm going to be unfaithful to them. Let's just get right down to it. I'm going to marry you, but I want the right, I want the freedom to be unfaithful if I choose to be. What kind of marriage do you think that would be? Not only that, not only what kind of marriage do you think it would be, what is that saying about the character of that person? Yet so many people, they do that very thing. They marry Jesus Christ, and again, how do we marry Jesus Christ? By accepting him as our personal Savior. Yet we commit adultery on him every day of our life. Because rather than living for him, we're living for the world. Folks, we can't enter a relationship with God saying, well, I want, I, want, I, want, I want that relationship, but I still want the freedom to live my life the way I do. We can't do that. Look, after the selection of the bride, after the payment was made, the next thing, you know, uh, you know, come this, the ancient Jewish marriage ceremony, it consisted of two main parts, okay? The betrothal period and the ketchabah. It's called the ketchabah. Now, the betrothal period, let's look at it. The, first of all, the betrothal period is much like what we would call an engagement period today. However, back in those days, it had much more of a greater sense of commitment. You know, in our engagement period today, it really don't mean nothing no more. Will you marry me? Yeah, I'll marry you. And then, you know, six months later, a month later, or whatever, they done broke up and went somewhere else. When these people entered a betrothal period, folks, that commitment was had a greater sense than what ours does today. You see, during the betrothal period, the couple actually entered into a covenant, okay? Now, covenant in Bible times, it was very serious. It was final. It was sealed in blood. It was a legal binding contract. And once a couple entered into this covenant of betrothal, they were married, they were legally married in every sense except the physical consummation of the marriage. Now, the physical consummation of the marriage could take up to a year for that to take place, okay? So they was in this, what we would call an engagement period for one year, but they didn't physically consummate the marriage for a year later, thereabouts. Let's talk about that for a moment. If you will remember, when Joseph and Mary was in their betrothal period, Joseph found Mary to be with child. Okay, now, again, they was not married yet. They were in their betrothal period. Joseph found Mary to be with child. Now, Joseph knew that they haven't you know, had any sexual contact whatsoever because they were not married yet. Okay? So Joseph said, now, wait a minute. <laughs> we haven't had any sexual relations. The only way she could be pregnant is if she has committed fornication against me. We're in this betrothal period. We're in this contract. You have committed fornication. That's the only way he figured she could be pregnant. Now, what we're told when you read that story, because she was with child and they were not married, Joseph said, you know, that uh, the Bible says that he was not willing to make a public example of her, <coughs> excuse me, but he was minded to put her away privately. You see, because they were in this engagement period, because they was in this betrothal period, 
she has committed fornication against him, he had the right to put her away. Okay? In other words, she voided the, quote, contract. She voted the, uh, avoided the covenant that they had made with one another. So with her being pregnant and them only engaged, he had the legal right to do her away. Now, had he had chosen to put her away, she would have had to live on the streets. No one else could have a part of her. No one else could take her in. She would have had, and they could have even stoned her for that. So he didn't want to put her away publicly. He contemplated put her away privately. But if you remember the story, what happened? The Holy Spirit come upon him, didn't it? And said, no, 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 no. She's pregnant with the Son of God. And Joseph had the faith to accept that. That's a different story all in its own. But even though they had not yet went through the marriage ceremony, he was still referred to as her husband. So even in this betrothal period, they were still referred to as the husband. But they was not until the actual marriage ceremony took place. That's how binding this betrothal period was. Now, the next thing that happened is during this betrothal period, okay, there would be what is called a ketchupah. You know, we, we had a ketchupah, you know, uh, you know, that was given. Now, the ketchupah was simply a marriage contract that was presented to the father of the bride-to-be. So let's talk about that. Okay, it was a marriage contract. It was an, a written agreement presented to the father of the bride. And what it did, it outlined the responsibilities, the rights of the groom in relation to the bride. It spelled out everything that this bridegroom was going to, uh, you know, to do and what was expected of him once the marriage took place. All day today, it's a little different. In biblical times, when a man consented to his daughter's engagement, you know, he was thereby facing this, you know, this departure, like we said well ago, of a contributing member of the household, you know, and he, it was viewed as requiring compensation for his loss. So the groom's family made this financial agreement, this financial settlement. It was called a mohar, a mohar. And, and, and the, 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 the bride's family would get this mohar, this agreement, this ketchupah, and it outlined everything, what the price was going to be paid for the girl, you know, and uh, everything else, what the groom was going to do, what was respect, uh, expected of him, and so on and so forth. Folks, listen. We, too, have a ketchupah. From our bridegroom. We too. Once we accept him as our personal savior. We have a ketchupah. We have a mohar that is given. You see our marriage contract folks. Is the word of God. That's our marriage contract. That's our ketchupah. You know and it shows what all we're entitled to. As the bride of Christ. All the promises in God's word. They're for us folks. Every promise. It's our ketchup. It's the promise. The, bride, the, the groom says, here's what I promise you. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's what you can expect of me. Isn't that great? Look, as the bride of Christ, we're entitled to everything in the Word of God. Now, go ahead and turn to Jeremiah 31. I told you it was going to go to Jeremiah 31. I want you to see what the Jeremiah had to say basically about the ketchup that was going to be written for the bride of Christ. Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah 31, verse 31 through 34. Jeremiah says this. 
The day is coming, says the Lord. So it's not just Jeremiah saying this. The Lord told Jeremiah to prophesy this. When I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah, this covenant will not be like the one I made to their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant. Okay, it wasn't God who broke that first covenant. Jeremiah says it was they. God says it was they that broke that covenant, though I love them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this is a new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them. Where's the instructions come from? The word of God. I will put my instructions deep within them. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord for everyone. From the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord. And I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. Listen, folks, our Ketchabah promises to us a personal relationship with the bridegroom. It promises us a personal relationship with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It promises to us a new covenant that shall never be broken by God. A new covenant that He has sealed in His precious blood that He shed on Mount Calvary. Our Ketchabah promises His words to be written deep within our hearts, you know, and forgiveness of any and all sins that we have committed, are committing, or ever will commit. That's a Ketchabah that He makes this promise in, in this marriage covenant that he has given us our catch about folks is is a binding contract with our bridegroom that will never ever be broken now the final thought is this what happens next is the bride's consent now back in genesis chapter 24 there after the servant offered her rebecca the uh the 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 right to be the bride of isaac now she has a choice to make. Okay, what does she do? What does she do? In Genesis chapter 24, verse 58, here was her response when the servant offered her the honor of being the bride of Isaac. And they called Rebekah and said unto her, Wilt thou go with this man? Now, that would infer she had an option there. Because they didn't say, you will go with this man. You've been chosen, you will go. No, what did they say? Will thou go? That infers she had an option there. She had a choice to make. What will you do? And here's what she said. I will go. Listen to me. God's servant, the Holy Spirit, is going to invite every person on the face of the earth to be a part of the family of God, to be a part of the bride of Christ. Now the ball will be in your court at that point. Rebecca said, I will go. And although a bride was selected for the bridegroom, she still had this choice. She could say yes, you know, or she had the right to say no. In the case of Abraham's servant seeking out a bride for Isaac, Rebecca said, you know, when she was asked, will you go with this man? At that very moment, at that very moment, she had a choice to make. 
Listen to me. When the Holy Spirit of God convicts you of your sin, when the Holy Spirit of God is asking you to become a child of God, to make the Lord, uh, Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior in your life, at that moment, you have a choice to make. He's not going to tell you, well, sleep on it. Well, why don't you take about a week and think about it? No, at that very moment, you have a choice to make. No one can make it for you. Mama can't make it for you. Daddy can't make it for you. You know, uh, the preacher can't make it for you. A deacon can't make it for you. You have a choice to make at that very moment. Rebecca had to make a choice at that very moment. She could say yes. She had the right to say no. In the case of, uh, uh, you know, again, the Abraham servant seeking out the bride, will you go at that very moment? She said, I will go. I will go. Listen, at that very moment, she gave her consent. At that very moment, she made the choice to become his bride. At that very moment, she made the choice that would change her life forever. Forever. Through eternity. Look. There may be some this morning that the Holy Spirit is drawing. Remember, the Holy Spirit's God's servant. He's sending out to ask you to be a part of his family. You know, this could be the last opportunity he offers that to you. Listen. By saying yes to the servant of Abraham, I will go. You know what she was in essence doing or saying? What, what, what do people say when they're offering their wedding vows and, you know, the preacher says, will you do this, that, or the other? What are, the, what are they supposed to say? I do. I do. That's in essence what Rebecca said when she said, I will. She was saying, I do. The servant of Abraham was not there to force Rebecca to say yes uh, uh, to becoming the, the bride. He was only there to offer her the honor of being the bride of Isaac. God's servant, the Holy Spirit, does not come to a person to force them to become a bride, part of the bride of Christ, but only to offer them the honor. Uh, there is no such thing as a shotgun wedding with the Holy Spirit of God. Okay? Some of you know what a shotgun wedding is. But when it comes to being offered to be the bride of Christ, ain't going to be no shotgun wedding. The Holy Spirit will not force you into that. He never forces anyone to say I do to his son. When we say I do to Jesus, we must believe with our heart, confess with our lips, and make that choice personally to say I do. Have you said I do to Jesus? Because I will assure you, listen to me, I will assure you, based upon the word of God, that at one time or another in your life, the Holy Spirit has come to you, convicting you, asking you to come to Jesus Christ. I know that for a fact because, you know, the Bible says God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So I know that for a fact. This isn't personal opinion. But what was your response when he did? Have you said, I do to Jesus? Have you, you know, I do confess that Jesus is my Lord. I do believe that Jesus died for my sins. I do believe, <clears throat> excuse me, in my heart and confess with my mouth that God raised him from the dead. I do repent of my sin. I do give you my heart. I do uh, receive your great love and gift of eternal life. I do. I do. When I was in the sixth grade, 
I said I do to Jesus Christ because his servant came to me asking me to be a part of the bride of Christ. The sixth grade. I've told you the story before. You know, I, I, I was, it was a Sunday night service at then Second Baptist Church in Tomball, Texas. Now it's called Carroll Street. But me and my best friend, old Terry Mask, he, he, we was back there, like all kids do on the back row, cutting up during the Sunday night service, all right? But yet I heard enough of the sermon that when I started to leave, the Holy Spirit said, you, you know, I'm calling you to be a part of the family of God. I headed out the door, but the Holy Spirit said it again, I want you to be a part of the family of God. I want you to be a part of the bride of Christ. I told Terry, I said, Terry, I got to go talk to the preacher. And I got with my pastor, Brother Charlie Bridehop. He's still alive, okay? And I said, Brother Charlie, I got to talk to you. So he took me to his office. He explained the plan of salvation to me. We, we got ready to kneel down on the floor, and I got a Charlie horse in my leg. Okay, I, yeah, I, I got a Charlie horse. I mean, remember, what, what show is that you watch all the time where uh, that the guy gets a Charlie horse because he don't want the, the colonel or the, the general to watch the TV? It's, it's either Holiday Inn or uh, White Christmas. She watches both of them, the same show. They just named a different title. But remember old Danny Kay, uh, who it was? He fakes a Charlie horse in his leg. I got an actual Charlie horse. And to this day, you're not going to convince me that it wasn't the devil pulling on my leg trying to keep me from being a part of the bride of Christ. But I said, I do. I said, Lord, I do confess that Jesus died for me. I do believe that Jesus rose from the dead. I do repent of my sins. I do give you my heart. I do receive your great love and gift of salvation. I do. Has there been times the servant of God has come to you and you haven't said, I do? You know, the sad thing is, some people say, just flat right, no. Other people say, not now. Some say, maybe later, after I get through sowing my wild oats. But the scripture says, Today is the day of salvation. Today. Listen, if the Spirit of God is calling you, the choice is yours. You have to choose. You have to choose. You either say, no, not now. But you know what? It could be your last invitation. Because the Holy Spirit's not going to beg you to be a part. Did the servant of uh, Abraham beg uh, Rebecca to be, a, you know, to, to be the bride? No, he just said, will you accept this? She said, yes, I will. What about you here this morning? Have you ever accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Have you ever asked Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sin, come into your heart and save your soul? Look, if you're here this morning and you feel... I, people say, well, what's conviction feel like? Well, to me... It's when butterflies are in your stomach and you're wanting to kind of float up off the ground, you know. You know it's something, something's not right, you know. And, and you just feel them butterflies in your stomach and you're wondering, what is going on with me? Can I tell you what it is? It's the Holy Spirit of God. Now, he works other ways too, I'm sure. 
I'm just telling you that how I experienced it. But if you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior, this morning, listen, His servant, the Holy Spirit, is calling you to be a part of the bride of Christ. He's calling you to be one of those wise virgins that we started this lesson off with. The question is, how are you going to respond? Will you respond like Rebecca and say, I will? Or are you going to respond like, oh, the old devil wants you to respond? No, not now, maybe later. That choice is yours. Let's pray. Oh,